Hello, hello, and welcome to Sustainability Explored. Every week, this podcast navigates a new topic through interviews with the most disruptive minds in sustainability, turning their experiences working behind the scenes into actionable advice you can apply in your life, no matter your background. For those who are new on this channel, my name is Anna. I am an environmentalist, sustainability consultant, and the host of this show. Today we're in for a real treat, a topic we have never discussed before, namely food sustainability. But before we start uh, this wonderful talk, I have a little announcement to make. Many of you asked me over the course of this year whether I could give you some career advice in the field of sustainability. In November this year, I opened my calendar for sustainability career consultations for those who would complete only two requirements. Leave this podcast a review on iTunes and book a call with me on my website. You will see the link in the show notes. And I was extremely delighted to see the warm reception of such opportunity. Since some of you prefer to simply have a consultation without the need to leave a review, I am now officially adding sustainability career consultations to the paid services I offer. If you're feeling stuck, need to make a difficult decision on which turn to take, this might be for you. All the details are in the show notes. Check them out. All right. And now let's get back to our interview. Today we will be talking about food sustainability and the role of vertical gardens in it. Our special guest is Eddie Badrina, the CEO of Eden Green Technology, a vertical gardening tech company. They build, manage, and license a greenhouse technology platform that increases local access to nutrition produce and provides a non-interrupted food supply, all through its turnkey urban agricultural model. I'm very, very excited. Eddie joins us today at Sustainability Explored to share his knowledge, expertise, and passion for sustainably grown food. If you're ready, let's get it started. Hi, Eddie. So nice that you join us at Sustainability Explored. So let's start with your career. I know that you have a very interesting twists in, in your background, in your experience, from digital marketing to helping refugees that were and are fleeing South Sudan to vertical gardening and solving the food scarcity problem. Tell us more about yourself. I am sure you have an amazing story to share. Well, first of all, thanks for having me, Anna. It's a, it's a pleasure to be on the show. Yeah, I do have a bit of a winding road when it comes to my career. I am uh, the son of Filipino immigrants. So they came to the United States in 1969. And uh, from there, I was born in Houston, Texas, born and raised. And uh, I don't know, uh, there are probably a lot of stereotypes in the Ukraine and around the world about Texas, but I did not ride a horse. I did, I did not have a 10-gallon hat, uh, but I was born and raised in Houston. And so I just had an opportunity to, you know, very early on be exposed to just an international scene of whether it's culture, uh, whether it's, you know, the Houston is probably one of the most diverse cities in the United States. Uh, so just a lot of uh, exposure to that. And then working up in Washington, D.C., I had a chance to work for the State Department 
and then for the White House. And so I uh, got exposed to, to a lot of just the interesting people and concepts, and it really broadened my mind to what uh, we could be doing on a global scale. So after my time in D.C., I came back uh, to Texas, and I saw a need in the marketplace for uh, just a digital digital help ad agencies that were focused on reaching people in this new way. And this was back in 2010. And so I started an agency with my business partner. We grew it from scratch and actually we sold it in 2016. So we had a successful acquisition. Uh, and then 11 months later, we bought it back. Uh, yes. Why? <laughs> it's a it's a totally different. That's probably a totally different podcast on uh, on how you uh, sell and then reacquire your own business. Uh, but that was a great learning experience for me. Uh, and then after that, I just had a chance to step back and think, okay, what impact do I want to make in the second half of my life? And so three things really stood out. One was I really wanted to do hardware software. Uh, I had done professional services. I wanted to do something different. Uh, the second one is I wanted to make a huge social and cultural impact in context of my level of effort. So uh, doing something where it just amplified myself and my talents, but uh, to something far greater than myself. And then the third was just to build a culture that was uh, redemptive and restorative to the community around us. Uh, within that company. And so I had a chance to join Eden Green and uh, become the CEO in 2019. And it hit all of those three things. Eden Green is a technology platform that grows a lot of produce. And when I mean a lot, I mean like in an acre and a half, we can grow eight to 900,000 pounds of produce a year. And, uh, and we can do it in such a way that it's economically sustainable uh, unlike a lot of other vertical farms and greenhouses, the uh, we can actually, as an economic unit, the greenhouse is profitable. And so a lot of different people are interested in our greenhouses for a lot of different reasons, right? Mm -hmm. uh, whether it's a government that wants to feed its people, uh, whether it's an investor group uh, that wants to sell the produce, or whether it's a nonprofit that just wants to care for the community around it. Uh, there are all sorts of benefits to our greenhouse and how it, the technology is built. And then the last thing, you know, with, with what I was looking for and what Eden Green checked off was we're just building a culture uh, within the company that is, is restorative. And I'll, I'll expand on that if you want. But most companies out uh, in the world today are exploitative in the sense that uh, the leaders eat first, if you will, right? They take their uh, earnings and their profits off the top. Uh, the employees are treated unfairly and the community around them is not benefiting from them. It's the net negative, whether it's environmentally or whether it's just, you know, overall how the, the company is affecting the community around it. It's negative. That's the vast majority of companies, large and small in the world today. Uh, there are a number of companies that are ethical and that's where the leaders eat alongside their employees uh, that's where their employees are treated fairly and it's where it's a net neutral effect to the community around it. And those are great, uh, great ethical companies. We probably know a lot of them and, and some of them have great, made a great brand because of that, right? Yeah, yeah. I want to build a restorative company. And a restorative or redemptive company is where leaders eat last. They're sacrificial 
It's where employees are blessed and treated generously. And it's where the community around the company is benefiting in a positive manner, both environmentally as well as economically. That's what we're trying to build at Eden Green is we're trying to build a redemptive company and it's intrinsic within the business model, which is why it's really, really exciting. First of all, crazy story about growing up uh, in Houston, being a, a, a kid of Filipino immigrants. I will tell you one thing, what we, what I personally use a lot from Houston is the phrase, Houston, we have a problem. <laughs> yes, from NASA, right? <laughs> Happens yes. really. My oh, yeah. question, you know, based on what you've just shared with me, we were recently in Turkey with my husband. He bought a pack of coffee, saw some fruits on it, which happened to be, you know, uh, raw coffee. And yes. I, I just heard, uh, you know, sort of an exclamation. Oh, my God, what did I do happen in, in the kitchen in the back of where <laughs> I was sitting? Right. I, I bought a, flavor, a fruit flavored coffee. I was like, what do you mean? How is it what? possible? look at the picture and he shows me the picture and it's just how raw coffee looks i was like this is raw coffee these are the seeds the fruits of coffee yes it happened it turned to be that he didn't know how it looks my parents took him to the village where he first in his life for the first time in his life he saw how cucumbers and uh, watermelons are grown he could not mm. imagine that and that brought me you know to the understanding, revelation even, that most of the people don't know where their food is coming from. Oh, absolutely. They have we no don't clue. Know how coffee looks, we don't know where chocolate comes from, how are these things appearing on our tables. Right. Vertical gardening, the concept is that you can grow your own food, right? In yeah. the urban ecosystem. Can yeah. you tell me more how the, how the concept was born and how Eden Gardens are different from other vertical gardening systems? Sure, absolutely. So it was started by some South Africans, two South African brothers uh, who were engineers, and they just saw a need in their own community for greens that were accessible, right? And not just identifiable of, you know, where are they coming from, but actually like having greens, having food that can be fed to the local population. And so that's how Eating Green got started, uh, was, was through these two South African brothers. And the technology they developed is very unique. Uh, it's actually patented in the United States uh, and in a number of other countries around the world, uh, either have patents or patent pending. Uh, but it really is focused around 18 foot tall vertical gardens. So in meters, what is that? Five, five meters, right? Probably. Roughly. So 18 foot uh, tall towers and there are plant spots in each of them. And if you go to edengreen.com, E-D-E-N-G-R-E-E-N.com, you can see what I'm talking about. And they're, they, in one acre and a half facility, you know, we're looking at 281,000 plant spots and we grow 11 harvests a year up to 11 harvests a year, depending on the plant. And so that's why we can grow year round a season agnostic and in a footprint that unlike a lot of other vertical farming 
uh, can be located in the middle of a city or on the outskirts of a city or right next to a distribution center, right? So uh, you talk about accessibility and about identifying and trackability. Those are all things that are features of of what we're doing in terms of vertical farming. Uh, it's uh, vertical farming, I think, has brought on a new, we're trying to redefine what local means, right? And I don't know about in the Ukraine or, you know, for all the folks, uh, you know, in the 90 plus countries that are listening to this, but local here in the United States means uh, more like a farmer's market. It's very qualitative. There's not a lot of hard science around it, right? And it, it makes you feel good because you're buying from local farmers instead of a supermarket. But that's really all local meant. And, and I think post-COVID, uh, we've seen all around the world, we've seen a disruption of the supply chain and we're redefining local. And, and this is what I mean. I think local is, uh, means accessible. It means everyone, uh, despite uh, where they're located, it, despite their socioeconomic status, uh, has access to nutritious, healthy greens. I think local means consistent. So uh, if it's located right next door to you or a mile down the road or right next to a distribution center or next to a grocery store, it's not sitting in a supply chain warehouse for, for days. There's no bottleneck in terms of a processor, right? It can be, uh, it can be bagged and distributed right then and there in a matter of you know 24 to 48 hours and so year round you can have leafy greens that aren't subject to seasonality they're not subject to pestilence a storm hits a certain part of the country and then you don't you know it ruins their crop uh, and because it's 11 harvests a year you get that every month so first is accessibility the mm-hmm. second is consistency and i think the third one is safety and it goes to the trackability piece. When, when you're growing in a greenhouse like ours, which has the highest food, food safety standards in the industry, what you're getting is you're not scared of getting E. coli or salmonella outbreaks, right? And it's super clean coming out of the, out of the greenhouse and straight into you know, the packaging and then to, onto people's plates in grocery stores or onto people's plates. And it's doing it in less amount of time. So that means it lasts longer in your fridge. Um, our greens, on average, last anywhere from two to three weeks in people's refrigerators. So no, very, very, very low, if not eliminating the chance of outbreaks, lasts in your refrigerator longer. You know, and then finally, it's trackable. Uh, we have a trackability mechanism uh, in our greenhouse where you can track it from seed all the way to where it's being packed. That is that is the ultimate in safety, and it's what we're after. Uh, so consistency, accessibility, and safety. I think those are going to be the new terms in defining what locally grown means, and we're we're leading the way in that. So are you selling the veggies and fruits and greenery, or are you selling the technology? So say I can buy and implement a vertical garden right in my apartment. So we're selling the technology, but the, the technology is on an enterprise level. So, you know, you've, I, I'm sure you've seen these tower gardens that you can put on your, you know, on your patio or in your, that's a, that's a great little small version, but we're trying to feed a lot of people, tens of thousands of people. And so our technology is more meant for uh, scale. Like the, the larger we get, the more efficient 
and the more uh, helpful that we can be. So our, our sizes actually start out with, uh, we're developing a smaller scale, call it the size of a house. It's probably the smallest we can go, uh, but really what we're after is selling an acre and a half I think that's like three quarters of a hectare. I'm not, I, I have to become more familiar with, um, because we are, we are getting a lot of interest in the EU uh, about this uh, and then in Asia. So uh, I'm having to, to learn all the conversion rates. Uh, yeah, but yes. It's true. You know, I haven't heard of vertical gardens here on the European scale. The only one, but it was not about food, it was more about house plants, is the startup, I think now it's, it's fair enough to call it a company, uh, called Verde Vertical. In yes. Mm -hmm. and this, is, this was my first kind of reminiscence when I knew that I will be interviewing you. Yes. Tell me more about technology. I read in the Forbes article from 2018 that your technology is soil free. Yes, it is. So it's, we use what's called hydroponics. And so that's where we put nutrients into the water. Uh, the water that we use is totally clean. It goes through a filtering system and a UV system that uh, totally makes the water acceptable to what we want to put in. Only, so the plants are only getting what we put in uh, in terms of nutrients and they're at a, a water temperature that is uh, optimal to absorb the nutrients. And water runs through there so, so quickly and with volume all 24-7 that they get nutrients like they would never get in soil. And the thing about soil is, you know, you talk about organic and you talk about this, the natural way of growing. Soil has a history. And uh, long before you know, you planted a seed in that soil, other things were planted in there and other things uh, were put in there by nature or by surrounding farms or by factories next to that farm or around that farm, things that were in the air that dropped down in there. So soil has a history and a lot of that history is not what you want in your plants. It's not what you want in your food. And so that's the, that's the biggest hurdle to the organic certification is that that farm may be organic, but what came before that farm? What's around that farm and what's in the air around that farm that you can't control? So, but when you use hydroponics and when you use a greenhouse, you can control all of those variables and, you're, and the plants are only getting what you want them to get. Can you expand more about hydrophonics? I'm not super familiar with the concept, even though I heard about it. But for the listeners, I think it, it would be good to understand in a couple so of minutes. What it, it's, uh, it's very simple. It's, it's plants grown with their root system being not necessarily submerged, but having water deliver nutrients instead of soil. Right. So in hydroponics, um, you have a medium, you have a growing medium. The, the most common one is called rock wool. And it's in an inert grow medium that's basically rock that's heated to more than a thousand degrees. And it's spun into uh, sort of a spongy like consistency that holds the roots, uh, but it also does holds water uh, really well. And so you put the seed in the rock wool. And then the rock wool is then water flows through that. It absorbs the water and the nutrients and the plant grows through that. 
So that is, that is hydroponics in a nutshell. Very interesting concept. And so your system is fully controlled. How do you know whether you have enough nutrients, light, temperature? It's all automated and monitored. So we developed our own automation monitoring system and software system uh, to help monitor what nutrients are going in, how much water is getting to them, what the air temperature, humidity level, ambient temperature is around them, you know, and then what light they're getting, how much light they're getting. So we talk to farmers all the time about the amount of moles, uh, which is the measure of light, the amount of moles and the, and the spectrum that our plants get. And the farmers have no clue what we're talking about. It's because you, it's not something they're able to control. They just rely on the sun, which is great, as do we. So we're in a greenhouse. And if you look at a lot of other vertical farms, they use LED lighting and spectrum lighting, which is great as well because they can totally control that light but it's so expensive. The electricity used uh, to run those lights is like a data center. So you're trading off one, which is control, for another, which is electricity, right? So it's from an environmentally sustainable standpoint, you're not taking advantage of what nature provided, which is sunlight. And in fact, you're using electricity and energy in a very artificial way. Yes, absolutely. It's always the case, you know, you you solve one problem, but in fact, you're just pushing the problem further down the stream or, stream or somewhere else completely. Right. So while thinking that you're doing good, you're actually doing harm somewhere else. That, that's right. the difference. When I was thinking about the concept and thinking about this episode, I was like, okay, you optimize the space. So instead of horizontal space you get the vertical right you optimize the soil by using water and then the light was my next question how do you make sure that the plants that are down this vertical shelf the bottom yes in the bottom yes they get enough light so we have sensors and it's the way our the way our our vertical towers are designed and how they're spaced out it's all very scientific but they're spaced out so that uh, so that the bottom plants get just as much light as the top ones, and then we have complementary lights that help those bottom plants um, get the additional light that they need. But we have sensors all throughout our greenhouse that help determine how much light these plants are getting and how much they need. It's all very very automated, very technology driven. You know, in Europe, the masters of greenhouse. Uh, farming are the Dutch mm-hmm. and they've done a fantastic job of greenhouse farming, but it's all flat tray, right? So you go into some of their greenhouses, which are, some of them are, you know, square miles uh, all under the greenhouse and it's all flat tray. And so there's only a, there's a density cap that you can reach, right? Because it's all just one level. But as soon as you go vertical, your density starts to increase exponentially and that's where our economic viability comes in is through this vertical the vertical nature of it and being able to grow so densely i think the other geographical area to look at would probably be israel with their yes all sorts of conditions and scarcity of water right not enough soil to grow that's 
No, I would I would be interested to to look into that direction too, and maybe even suggest this uh, technology to them. Yes, so they've been super. There, uh, there are investor groups over there that have been very interested in what we're doing as well in the Near East in general too. Like if you look at that region, uh, and and I think you'll we'll start to hear more and more about the water scarcity that is that is coming to play. And uh, just all over the world, I think water and water rights are going to become more and more of an issue because it's just we're consuming more as our populations grow and the amount of clean, fresh water is, is reducing. Uh, and so you're really getting into this place where now it's the Near East, but soon it'll be all over the world where they're looking at water conservation uh, and they're having to see how can we feed our people how can we not have to ship greens from all over the world? And how can we do it in a place that's really starved for water? So we get, we're having a lot of interest in the Middle East as well. Absolutely. And, you know, coming back to the history of Eden Green technology, speaking of two South African engineers, South Africa and Cape Town in particular already almost had their no water day. And oh, yeah changing the behavior of the entire population they managed to push back they start saving water like like crazy that's just an example right it's an example of what they are experiencing what we will be experiencing with the world over a lot of what they're experiencing right now i know they had similar similar water restrictions in some places in south america i believe uh, and it's i mean it's going to become just more and more of a problem I'm wondering what kind of products exactly you can grow in the vertical garden. Any type of vegetable or is it just greenery? Like what is there? So we can we can grow commercially, you know, commercially viable. We can grow around 50 plus types of uh, leafy greens and herbs and uh, peppers and then starting to uh, get into some berries. I've gotten this question a lot of, hey, who's going to win in all this? And really, th there's not any one winner. There are a lot of technologies and in the controlled environment agriculture space that are built for different things. Like there are better, there are folks out there who are only focused on tomatoes and cucumbers and some of those more woody stemmed type uh, plants. And then there are folks like us who are more focused on leafy greens on kale, spinach, arugula, lettuce, mustard greens, and herbs like basil and rosemary and mint and all that good stuff. So that's what we're focused on is uh, leafy greens, herbs, peppers, and a couple of, couple of berries like strawberries. Mm. Strawberries grow really good in our system. Oh, yes. And, you know, I remember from, from childhood memories the strawberry would grow well on the sandy pillow kind of sand mm -hmm. pillow. So it was always an issue. Once you collect the strawberries, you have to wash it really well. If you really yeah. don't want to eat the, to hear the <laughs> gritty. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. And that's the, that's the thing is we, we're able to adjust our system to what the plants need. We're, we're very plant centric, right? People walk in our greenhouse all the time. They're like, man, it is so warm in here or it's very humid in here and our agronomist says hey this was built for plants not for humans 
Uh, and so as, as we, uh, depending on what we grow, we can adjust water levels, we can adjust humidity, we can adjust the nutrient mix. All of that is, is all adjustable for what's best for the plants. Wow, and so we can, we can grow different varieties under one roof, like a greenhouse, an acre and a half greenhouse doesn't have to be all one variety of lettuce. It can be, you can have lettuce in there and kale and spinach and some strawberries in there and some basil, right? It can all grow in there. Makes me want to have my dinner. <laughs> yes, exactly. You know, I started asking my guests uh, this question in the second half of 2020, more or less. How did the business change with the COVID-19 pandemic? Yeah, that's a great question. So it actually heightened the awareness for things like us. And I think it's because COVID uh, exposed. So in general, COVID is accelerating all the trends, right? Whatever trend it is, whether it's, whether it's, reinventing the supply chain, e-commerce, uh, work from home, internet speeds, uh, you name it, across the board, transportation issues, it accelerated everything, right? So now, you know, the airlines that were in trouble were really in trouble now. They were bef- in trouble before, they're more in trouble now. Internet speeds, Uh, It was always gearing towards 5G and faster. Well, now that's just accelerated a lot of what the what the telecom companies had planned for three years out, or they're getting done in six months. Uh, The same with work from home. You know, a lot of companies uh, were sort of investing in infrastructure to you know help their help their employees be a little more flexible. And now all of a sudden, it's accelerated all of those capital infrastructure investments and timelines and policies around working from home, right? It's accelerated everything. For our industry, uh, it's accelerated just the uh, brokenness of the supply chain. Uh, And we saw it, but we really just kind of patched it up. And we saw it when, um, you know, you had uh, outbreaks and then all of a sudden you couldn't get certain lettuces or tomatoes or, any of those or, or meats for that matter, right? You'd paper it, paper it over and you would just find meat from somewhere else or you could go without with it for a week. Or maybe, you know, uh, in terms of supply, it was really more about consistency or accessibility, right? Well, now with COVID, that's just broken everything. And so the need for locally grown food has really grown uh, here in the United States, it's grown uh, by 400% the demand for locally grown food, according to some estimates. And we're in a perfect position for that. So I think we hit it at just the right time, honestly. And our model is very, very different uh, from a lot of other uh, greenhouses as well as vertical farms in terms of being able to put it where you want to put it and then uh, the economic viability of it. So it's been good for us. And what do you wish changes in the industry to accelerate this transition? What, what are the, let's say, three challenges? I would say, let's call it two challenges. One is education. Uh, just like we're having this conversation, it's why podcasts like yours are so useful, is a lot of people just don't know. They don't know that this can be done. They don't. They think urban farming is is unattainable or they think it's, you know, little gardens, community gardens or garden towers on your patio. They're not thinking 
wow, I can, we can really feed a whole community with this. And I think the second one is believability. Like people, people walk into our greenhouse and they think they've walked into, you know, the set of a, some sci-fi movie. It really is unbelievable. And so we're trying to make it believable. No, this, this is real. And this food is nutritious and healthy and it's, you know, and it's not engineered or altered in any way. It's just plants growing in the way that they want to grow. And it's, that's, that means they're getting as many, as much nutrients and water and sunlight as they need to grow uh, in a way that in an ambience temperature and environment that's perfect for them. And so it really is a, there's a believability factor that's, that's hard to overcome. So education and believability are the two big challenges. Cool. Speaking of believability, just hit me. Have you heard any curious misconceptions from, you know, people that didn't see it before? Would they say, well, it's not natural, it's modified, it's, you know, created artificially. I'm not right. it. Have you heard anything like that? Oh yeah, every day, every day. And it's and it's because you know your your concept of plants growing in soil is just what we've known for the past 2000 years, 3000 years whenever you know whenever agriculture domesticated uh, agriculture first started. But really when it comes down to it, it's it's just showing them the root system. It's showing them like pulling it out and just seeing like this beautiful plant and then uh, and showing them how it's grown and honestly taste is the last thing when people taste our produce it's like nothing they've ever tasted before there's so much more flavor it's more powerful and nuanced at the same time and so like my kids are totally spoiled because i bring home greens all the time and the greens they eat from the grocery store are just they taste like soggy cardboard compared to our plants So I think taste is the final thing that gets people over the top because you can't replicate taste like that in an unnatural way. It's got to be, it's got to be what the plants, how they were made uh, and how they're growing. And so where can people try it? Have you partnered with any supermarkets, at least in the U S I assume there is nothing so far in Europe. Yeah. So uh, we've done pilot projects with Walmart and then another retailer here. But really, we're on the verge of launching our first commercially viable greenhouse with a partner. Uh, and so uh, for now, you have to fly to Texas uh, and you have to, you have to come uh, to our R&D greenhouse and then soon the commercial greenhouse that will be built next door to it. That's, that's how you can try it out for now. Maybe we can FedEx a package over your way and airmail it. <laughs> One day, one day I will do my field trip to your facility. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> one absolutely. last question to wrap yes. up this interview. Uh, I always ask my guests and they provide a ton of value. One piece of advice for the listeners. I would say just stay curious. Stay curious. Commit yourself to being a lifetime learner. I heard someone say, I think it was, it was it wasn't Warren Buffett it was uh, another investor and maybe it was Ray Dalio but he said strong views held weekly so have very very strong views 
be very deep and thoughtful about those views, but hold them very loosely and very weakly because they could change. And they change by you being open-minded and by being curious and just letting curiosity take you to its logical end. And that's, that's where innovation, that's where creativity, uh, that's where revolutionary thoughts come from is when you have really strong thoughts, but you hold them loosely or hold them weakly. Brilliant advice. Thank you so much. Eddie, it was amazing having you on the show. I learned a ton from you. Now my next step is getting my ticket to Texas and COVID restrictions, you know, disappearing, vanishing in the thin air. It was an amazing interview. Thank you very, very much. And the best of luck with Adam Green Technologies. Thanks so much, Anna. And I uh, had a pleasure talking to you. And hopefully we'll see you one day soon here. Absolutely, we will. <laughs> thank you. Ciao, ciao. All right. Take care. As always, thank you so much for joining us today for this wonderful conversation about the future of food and vertical gardens that we just had with Eddie Badrina. As always, if you have any questions for me or Eddie, please don't hesitate to reach out on LinkedIn, on Facebook, via email. We are both easily findable uh, on social media. If you like the podcast, you know what to do. Sub subscribe, share on your social media with anyone who might be interested in the subject. Leave a review on the platform you're listening on or on our Podchaser page. I reply each and every one in person uh, when I see that on Podchaser. I always suggest some other related episodes that we had so far on the podcast, but it just comes to my mind that we didn't speak about food yet. So explore the directory and the archive of the podcast of Sustainability Explored. Maybe you will find something interesting for you. We have covered so many topics so far, from fashion to bed sheets to flowers to tourism, finance, all sorts of certifications, and so many more. So I'm, I'm sure you will not be bored. Finally, we have a LinkedIn page, Facebook group. I have a Twitter account where we can all interact Ask me your questions, nominate guests, or suggest topics you are interested in learning more about. And I will always do my best to find the most appropriate and relevant guest to cover, to cover the topic that you want to listen on. This was Sustainability Explored, episode number 65, season six, and me, your host, Anna Chashina. Thank you again so much for listening, for being with us today and always. And until next time, next Thursday. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. Stay sustainable.